that was a year for me where, you know, it was a tough year because you had to maintain your standard over the course of the year. I presumed um, that I'd played re- as well as I could in a struggling team and I thought, I'm, I'm out of contract, they're not going to renew it because my money's too much for the championship, um, which was right. Les said to me, I'm not even going to make it an offer because there's no point. Um, so I knew my future lied elsewhere. And I thought, you know, I've done all right in the Prem this year. I've done well in the Champ last year. There'll be loads of people. And there was no one. There was no... So I sat all of June, all of July. I had a phone call off Forrest, Dougie Friedman, in the back end of July. He was in the Champ. And I was like, I've just... The year before, I've qualified for the Champions League. The, the next year, I've helped QPR, being a huge driving factor in getting them out of the Champ. The, the, the following year, I've been in the Prem, but I've been you know, trying to bail water out every game and, and kind of holding my own. Um, I mean, second last game of the season, I was we got beat 1-0 at home by Chelsea on Sky and I was given man of the match off Sky in a losing side. So clearly, if you very rarely see someone on a defeated side get MOM after they've been beat. So I knew I was playing well, but the team wasn't really functioning. And obviously, I knew we were going to lose Charlie Austin that summer, who was a main source of goals. And at, at, at that point, it was going to be tough. So... Um, Thinking there'd be loads of suitors, none. Forrest phoned me up. Uh, I didn't really, I didn't really think it was right. Then um, West Ham late in the window. Burnley came in. Sean Dyche phoned me. Burnley, who dropped, who just been relegated with yeah. us, and I'd always liked them from a distance and liked the way they did it. It was a very, very socialist ethos to their club and their team and his, his managerial style, which I felt would have worked with me. And and then I'd spoke to Burnley and was due to go meet Dyche and have a chat with him. Um, and then West Ham came in, who were in the Europa League, I think via the Intertoto, Billich's first year in management. I'd bought a house when I first moved to London, renovated it up for two years whilst I was in France, and it was a bit of a building site. We finally got it finished, and six weeks after they moved into it, after my missus had spent all this time picking carpets, furniture, it was finally done after two years, and I'm like... I might need to move here without a contract. And and she was like, no, no. And I was like, look, no, no choice. Burnley came in, Forrest. And I was like, look, my missus wants to live in London. West Ham came in. I thought, oh, great. I can still commute. It's the other side of London, but I'll get there. And then the fans kicked up a fuss. I'd done my medical, agreed everything. Fans kicked up a fuss that I was uh, not the kind of person they wanted to sign. They put, uh, I think they got cold feet and pulled the deal. I then went and met Burnley uh, two days later. Sean Dyche went to his house in Northampton and I just thought, you know what, this fella's all days. He's he's proper. I just need I just want to enjoy my footy. I just want to play in a boss team with a good set of lads who just wanna you just want to have a go. The days of all the pretentious bullshit just I can't be arsed with it anymore. QPR had really uh, affected me and I just wanted to be part of a group that was all rowing in the same direction on and off the pitch. Dyche promised me that and he asked for certain things from me. And I said, look, yeah, look, I can deliver that, no problem. And we, we shook hands. He's a, he's a proper proper man in my book. We looked each other in the eye. It's, it's the reason we're still great friends to this day. Actually, I, I t- he phoned me at 10, uh, 5 to 10. I said, I've got to take this call for a podcast. I'll ring you back at 11. I'll be done at 11. <laughs> it's fucking 5 to 3 now. <laughs> but I, I do like giving people my time, whoever I'm in front of. I, I like spending time, like, you know, I'll give you my full... Um, energy if I'm going to do a podcast I'll do it properly for you so you can have the best product you can you can put out there so I'll have to explain to him that it's slightly overrun he'll be thinking he'll be 
thinking I've, I've totally forgot about it. I'm, I'll, I'll probably get a text in a minute saying, what happened to ringing me back at 11? Um, so, yeah, we looked each other in the eyes. Um, he, he, he said he needed certain things from me. I, I, I agreed to them. I asked him for certain things. He agreed to them. And it's one of the few meetings I've ever had with a football manager where not only has he delivered on his word, he's gone above and beyond that. Um, and, and that's the reason it worked out for us there because I'm a man of principle. I'm a man who, who believes in if you say something and you say you're going to do it, that you do it. Um, whether that is, is, is hard work for you or makes it difficult for you or not, if you say you're going to do something, you should, you should um, exhaust all avenues to do it. And that's one of the most, you know, the only smite I've, every club I've been at, I've been successful. So, um, you know, I look back at every club I've been at and I look back, you know, even QPR, I had some tough moments, but we got the playoff final. So really, really great thing to remember. Um, and Rangers is the only place that I haven't. Rangers is the only, for me, personally, the only blot on my copybook where I didn't manage to have a successful period. And it's something that will live with me forever and something that I hope, I never know, but I, I, would, like to, I would like to, I don't know why. I don't know why because of the way I was treated there. But I would like to get that. You know, if you've ever got a, a loss on your on your record as a boxer or as a a, a a competitive man, you always want the opportunity to put that right. So for me, I don't think I've got finished business in Scotland. I don't I don't know where that is, but I don't know what that is. But the fact that the Scottish newspapers call me a flop every time they refer to me, the fact that. They, they love saying, oh, you said you were going to come up here and be the best player and you got your arse handed to you and had to go back to, to England. Doesn't mean that it's over. I've got unfinished business. So I, I, I said I was going to uh, do well in Scotland. I said I was going to be the best player in Scotland. Obviously, I can't do that anymore um, unless I get myself in really good shape. But even then, I think it's a bit of a stretch. But, but I, I don't want the people of, of Rangers, certainly, and, 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 of, and of Scottish football thinking that... Um, that I'm just going to accept the, the nonsense and the shenanigans of other people, which ultimately cost me from doing what I came to Scotland to do, which was be successful, of, of that um, smiting my copybook. But uh, who knows? The future knows. I mean, I mean, if at this moment in time, I, I don't see myself coming back into Scottish football because it, it, it's not the most desirable destination Um for, for, for certainly for English football and my, my small um, venture into the Scottish market didn't end up particularly well for me especially when it came to the media and, 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 and public perception but, I have to say you know, on Scotland sorry on Scotland right this is something it could be a controversial question but it's something I've always wanted to ask you you were always you were linked during your career multiple times with Celtic before you then joined Rangers were you ever close to joining Celtic? Did Celtic ever approach you? Because living up here, you were always a player who was always continuously linked from Celtic, whether that was on fans' forums, websites. It was a link that never seemed to go away. Yeah, it's... Get down. You know, lads at the window again. Um, so, so the, the, the... Get down. Yeah, my missus getting... <laughs> I'm coming out now. So yeah, the, uh, the Celtic. Um, yeah, it was every time. You know, obviously being an Englishman, you 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 have a choice. It, it is Celtic rain. You know, it's like AC Milan, Inter Milan, Barcelona, Real Madrid. You know, you're mad footy fan. 
you don't you'd have your team which you know I'm an Evertonian I was a boy at Evertonian went on the terraces at Everton so that's your team that's the team you support but you'd have you know um, teams that you look out for and, and in certain countries you know you, you like other teams most most football fans are like that you know you don't support them but you'd have um, a, a leaning towards one or the other and me being from Liverpool which is a virtually a republic within England Huge Irish community. I mean, half my family, obviously, Culshaws, um, Stanton's. Um, so Stanton was Staunton. They all came from Ireland. So half your family has got, you know, my name's Joseph Anthony Barton. So proper Roman Catholic um, running right throughout. I went to St. Agnes, St. Thomas Beckett, Holy Communions, all that. So when it comes to football, Rangers are Celtic we were always put in Celtic kits. So you always got a Celtic kit at Christmas or because you went, there was other kids who got Rangers kits, but you got Barcelona, you'd have, you know, you go on all these to Spain, you'd get a Barcelona rail and they, they weren't the real ones. They were the Schneid ones with like Butcher Gremio <laughs> on the back or, or they were from, from the shops on near the beach that you went to if you went to like Alcudia or whatever your mad and half fella could afford to take you. They weren't the legit like proper kits, but at that time as a kid, they were the bollocks. You were buzzing if you went on Aldi and came back with a foreign footy jersey. No one knew whether they were legit or not because you didn't have all the football on the TV like you do now. So at that point, I, I was always in and out of Celtic kits as a kid. You know, you were always put in them and loads of other kids, Rangers, Celtic, you know, as, as well as many other football teams. So as I get older and I'm playing, you know, people had asked me, they'd say, are you Rangers or Celtic? Because that's like kind of a big question in Scotland where in England no one really gives a shit about religion no 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 one really cares about you know Catholics Protestants we all go to the same school playing the same teams it's not what it is in Northern Ireland and Ireland and what it is in in, in obviously in Scotland it's in England it's 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 not a big of a focal point so I'd always answered over the years you know if there's any allegiance I'd probably lean more towards Celtic than Rangers because you know, that was kids' kits, Roman Catholic, Catholicism, you know, out of the two, your family just kind of nudged you towards their kind of leanings. So it was the same with supporting Everton. I never got a choice. My dad was an Evertonian. You know, for, for an easier life, I probably supported Liverpool because they got more, won more things, go to more better finals, watch better players. But unfortunately, I never got a choice. You know, my dad, you're Evertonian, that's how you're born. I mean, my little lad supports Liverpool. Because I've got a democracy. I'm like, look, you want to support Liverpool? I'm not going to make you support Everton because up until Ancelotti getting the job, we were making a, a bit of a hash of it with Marjo Silva and he's watching Salah, Mane, Klopp and European Cup Finals. And I'm like, but Everton might get to one Cup Final in the next 20 years. You know, you've got to stick with, with Everton. Um, but he doesn't, you know, these kids nowadays, all the mates are singing the Mo Salah song. He do not want to support Everton. We've got no players of, of, of the Mo Salah uh, quality, so I've lost him. He's gone. My little girl still supports Everton, and hopefully, my youngest, he's only 18 months, we're trying to get him to support Everton, but he's a bit young, yeah. But my little lad, he's lost, he's gone to the uh, to the red side, which probably will give him more enjoyment. But obviously, um, he, he's he's the black sheep of the family. Um, which you, you make that bed now, you lie in it, you know, good and bad, you, you're a Liverpool fan, and and then I go, I get to, I get to playing and and you know, there's constantly the Celtic one keeps popping up, and you know, I spoke. To, you've you've heard a lot about me, create. You know, for me, going to Scotland wasn't playing against the best in the world. There was a period louder up last, and 
where where Scottish footy had some incredible players. You know, um, you know, I can remember the old fame games being. You could probably have put both of them old firm sides in in the Premier League, and they'd have been very very competitive. I'm not saying they'd have won it, but they'd have definitely been um, very very competitive. And then Scottish football, for me as a young player, them days had gone, so it wasn't as des- desirable destination. And then you had all the thing at Rangers with the getting demoted, and Scottish football to me looked an absolute mess. And I thought, you know what, doesn't it's it, it it you know firstly in England looks I'll have to say this Scottish football's not as good as what people in Scotland think it is, but it's also not as bad as what people in England think it is. Um, you know, there's a lot of qualities about Scottish football, and it's a tough it's a tough uh, place to play. I mean, the standard of football is certainly different to the Premier League and the Championship in England, which I think most even the most ardent Scottish football fan will accept. But there's still some uniqueness about it. It's not an easy... No division's easy to win. You know, it's not an easy league to win, albeit the dominance of, of the old firm, um, financially, supporters-wise, makes it very, very difficult for your Aberdeens, for your Hearts, Hibs, uh, Kilmarnocks, whatever, to, to break into that... Um, you know, top echelon. Realistically, it's it, it is always going to be Rangers and Celtic until um, things change. Um, and 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 the reality of it is, it's been that way for the best part of fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety years. So, what what's going to change it that we don't know about? And uh, do we see that coming at this moment in time? No. Um, let's be honest. Rangers and Celtic should have really come to the Premier League. It would have killed Scottish the Scottish League. But could we have not have had? Do we need? We've got four divisions in Scotland. We've got four divisions in England. We've we've only got sixty odd, sixty five million, seventy million people. You know, do we need four divisions in both um, both countries? Could we not have a, a the, the league in the you know the UK? You know, is it easy? It's as easy to play Darlington to play Greenock Morton as it is Darlington to play Plymouth Argyle. It's probably closer to, to nip into Scotland. So. Should we not have? Should we not have amalgamated the two leagues and tried to get? Uh, I, I don't know, but for me, it was always going to be unsustainable. And I think this COVID nineteen pandemic will will see a few clubs go to the wall, um, which is sad. But uh, I think we we live in a time where every you know my lad wants to support Liverpool. He doesn't want to support Warrington Town, who, who's close to me. He doesn't want to support Berry. He doesn't. They're not. He's not asked about them. He wants to watch the best players, and and you know that's all the Sky and the dominance of BT and these. They all want Champions League, and nobody wants to. You know there is a small people, but not many people want to go and support the club on the doorstep. And and if they don't do that, these clubs cannot operate. So, you know the, the marketplace will dictate what happens to the to the football pyramids. And I think in Scotland, you know you look Rangers, Celtic, strong. Hibs, Aberdeen, Hearts, all right, good-sized clubs. After that, you know, you've got people playing on Astro Turfs. You've got, um, you know, you drop into the Scottish Champ. You've got some big clubs in there in terms of Dundee with its history. But are they ever going to break the old firm, you know, dominance? Are you going to get something like what happened with, with Alex Ferguson and Aberdeen, where he makes Aberdeen the top dogs and Cup Winners' Cup against Real Madrid? Are you going to see a club come from out the pack? I, I thought maybe under Derek McInnes... Aberdeen's best shot of that was 
when Rangers were out the top flight, they, they closed, you know, they made it competitive for Celtic, but they never ever um, moved into that space to yeah. give get him a third or fourth option of, of a title winner. And I think once you get like that and it gets a bit monotonous, it's Celtic or Rangers. Um, and especially when Rangers drop out the top flight, it's just Celtic. I think, I think most four fans have gone, that's not, not happening up there. Well, I have and, and to I say, when you came up to Scotland, obviously there was massive hype. Um, lots of Rangers fans, Scottish football fans get excited because you came in, Cranshaw was there. Um, I spoke recently, I interviewed Mark Warburton, as you know, and I asked Mark Warburton the question. I said, was Joey Barton difficult to manage? And he said he was difficult to manage. But what he did say, to be fair about you, is he said he's a top player. His career in football shows he's a top player. And one of the things he said about you was all the talk about Cranshaw and Joey Barton being on ridiculous money to come and play for Rangers is not true. He said these guys came because they wanted to play for Rangers. Yeah. How do you sum up your time at Rangers? And, and was the standard of the dressing room, you talked about guys like Waghorn, Tavernier, good players, but not players that had played to your standard. Was that difficult to, to be involved in? The, 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 the difficulty about Rangers was... It, look, it was a complete rebuild because the Scottish champ the year before, you'd had, the, the, you know, obviously before I got into anything, you'd analyse everything that's gone before. So you'd seen um, the fiasco of Rangers getting demoted to the bottom tier, the kind of phoenix rising back up through the divisions. And, you know, that kind of underdog story appealed to me. I was like, fucking hell, that's a huge football club with great traditions and an incredible fan base and it and it and it's it, it needs um helping and and for me I'd been a year before on a scrappy scratching around for a club Dice gave me a lifeline at Burnley you know I went to Burnley we won the league job done and for me I was going back into the Premier League to try and keep a club up and save them from relegation which I'd done before it was like okay I, it was a great group I love playing with the players but I'm like I'm going to do something I've already got experience of doing. I wanted to win a league again. I wanted to, you know, and, and, and Rangers came out came out of the blue. So Frank McPartland spoke to me and he's like, he, he understood, he, he's the guy who got me to sign for Burnley. He was director of football, I think, at Burnley. When I signed for Burnley, he was a huge factor in getting Daishi to, to get me at Burnley. And he'd left in about the January or February and gone up because he'd worked with, uh, Warbs and Davy at Brentford, so we went up to Rangers. Obviously, I think Ali McCoist and had been the year before in the Scottish Champ, and he never got promoted. Did he lose in a playoff to somebody? Ali was there, and then he left, and Stuart McCall came in. So they 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 lost in like the semi in the playoff semi-finals or something the year before. Obviously, Warbs went up there, and for me. You know, you pay attention to the press, but we were in the championship. There was no interest for us in Scottish footy. And then, you know, he got the semi-final against Celtic and you thought, oh, they're playing some good stuff there. And albeit, you know, I didn't know the standard, but I presume the Scottish championship was was not the strongest division and that they should really steamroll teams if you've got an OK team. Okay, because of, budget, yeah. yeah, financial power of, of Rangers. Um, and, you know, they started to put some really good performances together. So I thought, I'd, see, I'd watch Warbs' teams at Brentford because when we were in the Premier QPR, Brentford were in League One and, and, and the champ. So if we had a spare, they played Friday and some Tuesdays. And if we had a, if Brentford was about five minutes walk from a house in London, their stadium. 
So it was just across Kew Bridge. I lived in Kew. It was just across Kew Bridge for me. And I'm, I'll always love watching footy either on the telly or live. So if there was a game on on a Tuesday night and we didn't have a game, I'd just go and pay in and get a ticket and watch the game, championship game. And um, so I'd, just, I'd watch Brentford quite a bit under Warbs and they played some good stuff. You know what I mean? I thought, yeah, he's, you know, he looks like he's a good coach. And then he went to Rangers and obviously they picked up and I thought, yeah, it's a, you know, He's doing all right things, but I never presumed anything would come of it because I'm at Burnley. Obviously, the season finishes at Burnley. Frank makes contact. He's like, hey, this Rangers, you know, we're about, we've got in the Scottish Cup final, we're going to play Hibs and we want to get back in and try and overthrow Celtic and this is the plan. And do you fancy it? And I'm like, yeah, do you know what? Rangers, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, I thought I'd go up there. I'm 34, 35. I thought, probably the right time to go to Scotland. Um, you know, me, you know, the Premier League is going to be at the bottom end, kind of trying to fight relegation. Um, I've done that. Let's go to Scotland and have three, four, five good years and help Rangers try to get back to the top tier of, of the Scottish game. It thought it was a great challenge. It was a great, um, I don't know what people call them project. It wasn't really that, but I just thought, what a good thing to be a part of. And obviously you've got a fanatical fan base and, if you can mobilise them, I've seen the Europa League final at City and Manchester Stadium, where they overtook the whole of Manchester and shut the, shut the town down against Zenit. And I thought, wow, it would be great to, to, to have them at your back and have them uh, cheering you on from the terraces. And, you know, they've been starved of success and they've seen the football club get demoted and almost go out of business. Uh, you know, it'd be great to be part of the journey of helping them get back to, the, to their rightful position. In, uh, and, and it was appealing from that regard. I mean, I, I've wrote about this in my book and spoke about it many times. The offer I got off, I, I, don't forget, Burnley offered me another deal. So I got an offer off Burnley that was way more than what was getting, um, and that was in the Premier League at, at Rangers. But I met Warbs in a service station at halfway down the M6. We had a chat. Everything that I spoke about and everything that he spoke about clearly work for the both of us. How I seen things getting done, how he seen things getting done. I'm very, very peculiar about how I need certain things and I want certain things. I'm always vocal and tell you them before I, before I turn up because it's the only way it works. He agreed to all that. Yeah, this is how we're going to do it. I thought, perfect. And then Bailey offered me a lot more money than Rangers and I said, look, I just really fancy going to Rangers. Daishi couldn't understand it. He was like, you're going to leave playing in the Premier League to go to Scotland? I was like, yeah, yeah, it's a great challenge. I, I want, this is what I see for the next two, two years of my career. And I want to be, I, I, this is something that was, for me was about football history and, and a legacy and being part of something incredible at, in Rangers history. Um, you know, Burnley at that point for me was, a job done. We came to win the league. We won the league. You're back in the Prem. You don't really need a 34, 35-year-old. You know, go and get younger blood and, and I can crack on into Scotland and have, have a crack at this. So that was the plan. And I turned up with them expectations. And then I, I turned up for pre-season and I wasn't allowed to go to America because I never had a work permit in place. I didn't know they were going quite late and didn't sign for Rangers quite late. And then they were going to... The first week or so was because their season starts a lot earlier than England. We'd finished and then they, they, were, they were going to America. So I didn't go on the trip because I never got my visa in place because I had a criminal record. They have to go to the American embassy to get a work permit to work in a country like America or if they've got strict 
um, immigration. If you've got a criminal past, you have to have a, a visa to go in. But I couldn't get an appointment at the embassy in time. So I said, well, I won't go to America. I'll train at uh, the training ground at Rangers. So that was fine. The first team all went off to America. I've turned back in to go to training at Rangers. And when I've come to the training ground, there was nobody in the training ground other than like the people who opened it. And so there was no one to train me. Mark, Mark had gone to America and left nobody behind to do any training with me. So I was kind of like, fucking hell, that's a bit amateur. Um, so I had to train on myself, on my own for the first six or seven days till they turned back up. And at that point, I was like, oh, okay, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. But all right, look, maybe it was just a weird set of circumstances and, and that's the way it's going to be. And just as we start, as it started getting rolling, it became more and more clear to me that um, the way I believe things have to be done to be successful at, at, at a good level and the way things had been done up until that point um, weren't aligned and people who didn't want to change wanted to continue to do what had worked for them in the Scottish Championship and what had worked for them um, in their careers to that point and I knew at that point that was going to be difficult because Brendan had just been given the Celtic job Ronnie Dyler had been emptied out that, that any of the the kind of semi-final success that Rangers had under Ronnie Dyler and, and Warbs, that there was a new manager in town and, and that weren't going to be the case. Celtic had kind of taken that semi-final as a warning shot that they needed to get, uh, not be as complacent because they needed to be the top dog in Scottish football and Rangers were kind of on the way back and they were going to make a financial investment in a manager in Rodgers who was coming from you know, Liverpool and clearly knows the, the, the top level of English football because he almost won the league at, at Liverpool and worked with Suarez, Gerrard and uh, amongst other top, top players. And Celtic's operating standard from Ronnie Dyla to, to, to Brendan would change considerably, you know, level of professionalism, level of training. And if we weren't, if we weren't better than that, or certainly working towards that, then there was no hope in hell of catching Celtic because they'd spent more money for a prolonged period. They had a better team because they were winning the Scottish Championship at a canter. And they were going to have a new manager in who'd give them a better training impetus that would make them them players who were already ahead of the Rangers players even further ahead of the Rangers players. So we have to work twice as hard to catch them to get on a level playing field. But the response from the people I met was, well, we were brilliant last year in the Scottish Champ. We've absolutely battered everyone, played all this football, done all these things. So we're not going to change that. And I think that was naive. Um, they thought that the, the, the trajectory and the, the impetus and the momentum they got from the Scottish Championship was just going to allow them to steamroll at everybody in the Scottish Prem and it'd be Rangers and Celtic again. And I'm like, we've got work to do to finish in the top four. Like we, we've got, You're a newly promoted side from a division below. Just because you're Glasgow Rangers and you've got hundreds of years of tradition behind you, you they're not uh, Aberdeen and Hart and Hibs and all the, all the other sides aren't just going. Oh yeah, go on, you go back to taking on Celtic. You know they they're, they're going to be going double hard to make sure Rangers can't get back to to that to that level. Um, so I knew it was a tough it was a tough assignment. Um, fully aware of it, knew what we had to do, knew the work that needed to be done. Went back and watched all Rangers games from well, pretty much all of the games from the previous season. Um, usually turn them off when it got to like 2 and 3-0 and you realised 
these are playing against completely uh, inferior opposition on in many of the games compared to their squad. So the games, in essence, became a bit of a farce. Um, anytime Rangers ran into a really good side, a well-organised side, whether it be in Scottish Champ or in the Scottish Cup, they had lots of problems. Most of those problems came from the set-piece area. So they had a huge Achilles heel, which was set plays. And it, that obviously cost them in the, in the Scottish Cup final against the Bernian. They lost that to a set play. And walked in completely aware of where they were weak, where they were strong, what needed adjusting, how we needed to adjust it. And then when I got in, I realised actually it's worse than what I thought it was from watching the games and listening to people. It actually needs a bit more work than in, in many places that, than, than what I thought walking in. But I know what they are and we can get them done. Manager had said to me, anything you see, you know, you're not just like a player, you're like a player and a coach. So you want you to come in the coaches' meetings and if you see things that can be improved, come in and tell us and that's what you're here for as well as the playing. So I was like, yeah, cool. So I was almost like a player coach without doing any of the coaching, but I was there to give them feedback. So they, they yeah. asked me lots of different opinions on signings. You know, Crankyar was due to me. I said to them, go and sign him. I was speaking to Nico in the summer, said he'd be a good addition. Clint Hill, Matt Jilks. Uh, they, they were asking me a number of players, what do you think about him? Les Scott, they were trying to sign just before I left. I said, don't take him. His knees like dust. Of, I knew people who were with him. He's, and, and as it turned out, it, it was a nightmare. But it was the, he was the sign that me and Warbs, I think, had, had a, mainly our final disagreement where we realised we wouldn't see eye to eye. You know, they wanted to sign Les Scott. It was done. So first and foremost, if he'd have made us a better player, I'd have been all for signing, no problem. We just signed Sendros, or Sendros was training with us, who was clearly, you know, similar kind of player. Um, Lescott's coming into town. Man City game, sending off. I'm, I, Lescott's one of the ones I had an altercation with. When I went to the FA to get charged by the FA, there was only one player who turned up and gave witness statements via video link against me, and it was Jolie and Lescott. So every other player who was on the pitch just went on Aldi and had nothing to do with it. Jolian actually got himself on a FaceTime Zoom call like this to say, no, Joey tried to headbutt me. Every play, it's, 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 a, it's a wrong thing to do. Every player knows when another player's in shit and they don't really round on them. But Jolian, for whatever reason, he was in the England camps, probably tying his bollocks off to stay in them, decided to curry favour with the FA, turn FA witness against me. Because I was saying, someone grabbed hold of my face and tried to move me head away rather than headbutt someone over here. And he was going, no, he tried to headbutt me. So... Me and Jolian weren't on Christmas card lists of each other. And obviously, he then wants to sign for Rangers. And I'm like, hey, I'm not playing with him. Firstly, he's a dog. He's given he's given witness testimony against me for the FA. Not the kind of man I want to be sharing a dressing room with. Secondly, his knee is like dust. I know a physio who's worked with him. He's not going to be physically capable to improve this team. If he was, and he was a good player, I'd have swallowed him and gone, hey, I won't get on with him, but he makes our defence better. Forget my personal issue. We're about winning here first and foremost. If he helps us win, forget how I feel about him personally. And, and I've done that with lots of players, by the way. But secondly, he's not going to be able to impact us um, as a player because he's not got the physicality. He's not got anything in him anymore. So I put my body in front of him and said to Warbs, if you sign him, I'm off. And he's gone, what? So all the while, Sean Dyche at Burnley saying to me, come back. It's not working at Rangers. Come back and play for us. Stop wasting your fucking time in Scotland. Come and play for us. We, you know. So I'm like, I've got Burnley in one ear saying, Daishi knows I'm not unhappy. Do you remember we played them in the pre-season? He's like, how's it going on? I'm like, it's a shambles, but I'll get it there. 
um, because of all the training standards and what they were doing. It was it was not how it should be done, or certainly not how I'd done it at Premier League level before. So I knew it was difficult, but I was I was in for the wrong goal, and I'm like, hey, you've got to grind this out and get this get this work. And you've come up here, said you're going to be the best player in Scotland. All the Rangers fans have put faith, belief in you. I had incredible support everywhere I've been from the Rangers side, and I was going to do everything in my power to make Rangers successful. I weren't I weren't just going to quit and run back down the road at the first sign of a bit of conflict. So we we, we scrapped through that. Warbs. Um, says okay, he can go. Then he says he can go. If he doesn't, if he's saying giving me an ultimatum about players, he won't play with him, and he won't play with him. He can go. So I'm like, all right, yeah, no, no problem. So I spoke to Daishi and said, look, this was on the 30, 30th of September. The window closes a few days afterwards. So I'm like, was it September or was it, it might have been August? Was it, no, it might have been. When's the window close? Scotland September, isn't it? September. August. Well, first, first of September. Yeah, so this is the, about the, it must be late August. It's literally like the last throws of the window. It went all the way up to deadline. So I said, look, if we sign Lescott, I've told you. Firstly, it's a wrong decision for the body's gone. Secondly, I don't like him and I don't think he improves this team. So I, I'm not going to be like pally with him. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not going to gonna be great for me. I'm, I'm, so he fails a medical then. So, fails a medical, doesn't sign. But me and Warbs have fell out on it because he's like, I'm not having a player dictating to me who he will and won't play with, which is fair enough from a manager. But in my mind, I'm there to help the club as well as help him as a manager. And I think they make the wrong move. And I think history has proven me correct on that. He signed for a Greek, a Greek club not long afterwards and retired without playing a game after four months. So, he'd have got Warbs would have got Rangers into a financial settlement position with a player who couldn't play. So again, I was right on that. Um, to be honest, most of the things I kicked off about at Rangers, I was absolutely spot on with. And if, I'd be at, if I was at Rangers and stayed the full course, they'd certainly be a lot closer to Celtic than what they were um, in those years that, that, that I went back down the road. They, ne- they never got the, the foundation in place. And it's only really since Steven Gerrard came in and Kakshina went that they started to get some kind of traction about closing the gap on Celtic, albeit they look like they've lost a bit of that with the winter break and 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 maybe the maybe the pandemic um you know has as as has stopped what what looked like a bit of a slump at Rangers that that it looked like Celtic were gonna go on and, and actually win the league a lot more comfortably than what it looked um uh, when they, when Rangers beat them in the old firm before before the winter break kicked in. But up until that point, you know, Rangers is a phenomenal football institution. You know, when you think about Walter Smith and that that that, that era of team, I grew up watching Gascoigne, Louder at McCoy, all, all Ian Durant, all that group. It was just about winning, 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 winning. And when you turn back up, you've had this kind of new Rangers, Rangers since it got demoted and come back. And there was still some people like Jimmy Bell who, who, and Davy Lavery who remembered the old days. And 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 um, John uh, uh, used to always be in the in the dressing room. John Greg, the John Greg, great guy, great guy. And so so you were always into that. I was always speaking with them about being around a trophy room, what Rangers was, um, and you, you can't escape it when you walk around that place. It's about winning, you know. That that's ultimately what that club's about. And and I was aware of that, and I'm like, okay, to win, 
it's wins not being nice guys. Win, you know, as uh, Rangers history attests to, wins not about being doing doing things by the by the book. Wins about doing what you need to do to get your team competitive. And and I think when we got to that level, I think I think if I'm if I'm honest, and I'm not talking badly about what I just think he lacked that. I just think he lacked the instinct that that is needed at the top level to win. I think he really, really lacked that, and I think he's a I think he's a good coach with a, with a certain type of player. I think if you're a if you're a young younger player, um, I think he can he can certainly help them get. You know, he's shown a QPR. I think he's done a great job at QPR because that was a basket case of a club before he went in there. Uh, I expected them to be in in League One with us um, this year because they were they were they were poor. Um, but to be fair to Warbs, he's, he's he's done a good job there. He's got them some good good players, and they're doing. You know, I know the results are up and down, and they they have great results and then poor results. But but I think he's done a good job in in getting them relatively comfortably safe in 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 the championship because that was a tough job to take. Um. So so in terms of his managerial credentials, I do think he has qualities. But when it when it's about putting Rangers back to the top level of Scottish football, I do, you know I remember being in the dressing room. So, so for me, again, I'll just say it as I see it, you know, the way I am. So for me, get, I, I'm behind the eight ball a little bit at Rangers in terms of catching up on fitness because I came back in late and had a couple of issues lingering on from the previous campaign at Burnley. So I need to get my body right. I then started playing catch up because I had to play, I didn't do a pre-season. I had to play the Beth Red Cup, I think it was called at the yep. time. Yep. I was using them games as kind of pre-season games. So... You know, there was there was a there was a couple of them games against I think Peterhead and a few of them at Ibrox, which were which were um, interesting. But but I was using them as a as a as a games to get fitness, albeit they were competitive games. Obviously, the league campaign starts. I think we played Hamilton at home um, on the opening day, and I think we drew one one, which wasn't a great a great game. But um, you know, you you kind of like okay, I, I was still working out. What, what the team was doing and how they would function under pressure and so on and so forth. The first period is a learning period. So I started to make suggestions. They were ignored or, or just totally disregarded. They'd go, oh, yeah, 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 and then just not do anything about it. The next week, we'd make the same mistakes. And I'm kind of like, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and again and expecting a different result. So I was believing, at, at that point, I was like, either I'm going insane or they're going insane. I'm asking them to do things that they can see are clearly not working. Because on a Saturday, when you get examined, they're not they're not functioning correctly. The minute we run into a good side, which you don't very rarely do up in Scotland, if you're Celtic or Rangers, you run into them in the old firm and maybe Aberdeen away and maybe Ibs and Arts away, but um, you don't you don't get examined every single week like you do in the Prem. So I knew at that point, the minute our structures get tested by a better team with better individuals than us, we're going to be. There's going to be a, a pack of cards that just collapses in on itself because the, the training regime's not right, the, their attitude's not right. It's very much a youth team, um, youth team development squad uh, mindset, and that's not Rangers. Rangers is a winning. You've got to win leagues. You've got to get in into the latter stages of European competition, um, and you can't do that with with the development mindset that that I believe Davy and Warbs um, create. I think that's what the that's what Certainly, I've seen at Brentford and Rangers, and I, I even think at um, QPR. I think he's got 
you know, that kind of group. It, 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 it's not a group I ever, would ever expect to win a, win a division and have a continual uh, period of success because it's not um, geared that way. It's geared in a, in a slightly different way. So we play, we, 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 we get to the nitty gritty of it. We, we're playing Celtic, yep. um, Celtic Park. So I'm like, okay, I've said I'm going to be the best player in Scotland. All eyes are going to be on me and Scott Brown. Uh, we do the team shape a couple of days before. We do the team shape on like the Thursday, and there's a there's one team playing. So you go, well, that's going to be the team. All the work we've done's on that team. Friday night, in the, we're staying in a hotel, even though it's only in Glasgow, but it gets us in a hotel. And a few of the lads are getting, you know, they have the fucking barbers coming round on Friday nights. But yeah, some of these young players now, you have Tavernias and all that. It's more important that the hair looks great for the game than. Then they're actually ready, so they got barbers in the room and all that. And Andy Alliday, we're, at, we're having something to eat, and Andy Alliday's gone. I'm not playing tomorrow. Now, he was in the team shape on the Thursday. So I'm like, well, we've done all this preparation about how we're going to play, and why is he changing the team on a Friday? So anyway, we found out Saturday morning when he named the team that Warbs had been concerned that the team had been leaked via somebody, and he decided to change the team the morning or the Friday night, Andy knew about it the morning at the game. But he didn't pull Andy and speak to him one on one. He texted him. So we're in the we're all in a hotel and he texted him to tell him that he wasn't playing. And obviously Andy's a mad Rangers fan and he's he's a good lad and good lad. And he um he was clearly fucking upset because on Thursday he'd been playing. He'd obviously told everyone he thinks he's playing and then gets a text late Friday night saying you're not playing and then he's not playing because he's he's worried that Brendan's got his team or something because someone's leaked it and some methods, nonsense. So I'm just like, what the, what's going on here? We're going into the biggest game of the season. My first old firm, and this is just amateur hour everywhere. So we get to um, we get to the stadium. Andy was crying at the dinner that he was dropped, and I could see he was gutted. I mean, Kenny Miller and that were talking to him. You could see he was genuinely wounded because he's, he's Rangers through and through. And obviously, first game back, old firm in, in the Scottish Prem. He wants to be part of it, and, and he had been up until Warbs had changed his mind. And he, he was gutted, I think, that Warbs didn't have a conversation with him and he had to find out via text, which for me was was a poor decision. So, morning of the game, go to the stadium, obviously run the gauntlet, all the Celtic fans giving you it all kinds. I'm like, Sam, no problem. I know we're going to lose the game. I know when, we're, when I'm going in, we're going to get beat because the team selection, it's me, Josh Windass and Nico Kankar sent to mid against Scott Brown near Britain and I think young, young McGregor is in there. So I'm like, Scott and Josh, good lads, good players, but not really not really ones you want in the trenches alongside yet. At Parkhead, Celtic 50, 60,000 Celtic fans baying for blood. You, you want a couple of war horses around yet? It's certainly in the first old firm because we're going to, have to, we're going to have to see out a bit of a siege and, and then hopefully grow into the game. So he picked, I think Phil Sendros made his debut in that game. Nowhere. Um, you know, you've, you've obviously got Lee Wallace and Tavu don't really want to defend. They just want to go forward. So I'm looking at it going, well, there's going to be, I think it was, was it Rob Keenan, Phil Sendros, centre-half. Fotheringham in goal, who for me, you know, do well for Rangers, but not a top, not a top cat. Keenan centred half, you know, he leaves Rangers and, you know, Rob's played against us for South End a few times. So, you know, I like Rob as a boy, but big ass for him. Phil Sendros making his debut 
left-hand side who've been a free transfer all summer. Almost signed Lescott ahead of him. And then last minute signed Sendros because Lescott failed with an injury. But he's not match fit. Waldo, left-back, who's wants to crack on and get forward. Tavu can't defend, just but is good quality going forward. Me Olden, Crankia and Josh Windass either side, who both want to go forward and not really great defending. And then I think it was Barry Mackay. Did he play Kenny Miller off one of the sides? And maybe Joe Garner or Wagon at front. Um, so I'm going, it's going to be a tough afternoon, this. And I know I've said I'm going to be the best player in Scotland. I know all the shit that I'm going to get because I'm going to, I'm going to not win this game. We are not set up to win. Go in the dressing room after the warm-up. I'm like, all right, we might, can we get a draw out of it? Can we be solid? Can I try and, what can I do to adjust? Because Andy Halliday had been playing centre-mid, which I think was the right call. Andy was in, in centre-mid alongside me. And Andy's a bit more robust and a bit more defensively minded. So I thought he should have played. As it was, he ended up changing his mind, going for either Windass or Crankyard in there. and with me, which away at Celtic was probably a bit naive. Um, get in the dressing room after the warm-up, and I'm trying to think, how do we keep a rein on Josh or Nico to keep us a bit more... I'm not going to be able to get pressure on Scott Brown or Neil Brittany to go in the pocket because I can't vacate, because if I vacate, there's going to be no one behind me because Nico and Josh ain't defensively minded. So how am I going to get on top of this midfield and leave without leaving Sendros and Keenan exposed because Tav and Wallace will have gone? So all of a sudden... We're on the back foot because of team selection, which is manager's prerogative. But I'm thinking, well, all the things I've said are going to be examined, are going to be examined. So after this game, we might lose this game. But if we have to lose it to win the war over the next two years, fine. If we learn the lessons we need to learn to get stronger, then fine, no problem. And sometimes you have to go in and take a beat. And that's sometimes par for the course. You have to take in and you have to go in and knowing you're going to get a good beating. But hopefully you get through it with, with, with enough intact and enough hate to, to galvanise you for the next part of your journey. So we're going to the dressing room before the game, after the warm-up. It's quite vocal and going to the dressing room after the game. And, um, you, you know, you're looking for your manager, for, for leadership. You know, you're looking for your... You're looking around the dressing room. It's my first old firm game. These have had a few, the semi-final and games before. I'm like, all right, you know, who's Kenny Miller's having a go? Andy Halliday's having... You know, they're trying to galvanise the two troops. And I look to my right-hand side, and there's Warburton, the manager, standing shaking like a shitting dog just shaking and I'm like fucking hell we're going out here in front of 60,000 running this gauntlet and the manager who I think first and foremost made the wrong team selection you're looking to for strength for leadership he's your leader he's the general on the battlefield and he's fucking doesn't know what he's doing he's shaking he's, he's miles out of his cup. so at that point I'm, I'm now like fucking hell what have I got myself into here? What have I got myself into? But I've got myself into it and I've got to make I've got to make this work. Go out onto the pitch. And I remember being in the tunnel at Celtic Park and I just remember thinking, don't get yourself sent off. No matter what comes here today, do not get yourself sent off because that's all this media wants. They want it's the perfect story. Joy Barton gets sent off, loses his head, oh, what a liability. So my mindset in that game was not about winning the game, not about anything other than not getting myself sent off for a lack of discipline. So when we're doing the handshake, I'm doing everything I can to defuse all the bad press. So people go on about, you know, the Scott Brown handshake. Madly, the, the, the fan, they've caught me shaking hands and looking down as if I was, like, scared of Scott. Listen, I respect Scott as a player. He's had a phenomenal career. But 
there's a reason he's not come to the Premier League. There's a reason he's not come and mixed it in the big shark tank down here. Do you know what I mean? And if he had done, you know, he'd probably get a lot more respect because he is a good player. There's no doubt about it. I've seen that on the European nights. But unless you come, you know, Barry Ferguson in his credit, he came down here. Lennon came down. They've all come down here. So I think to, to have yourself as a serious European player, you've got to come and play in England. If you're the top boy in Scotland, you've got to come and have a go in the Premier League, even if it's for a season, even if it doesn't work out. I think you've got to come and have a go. It's like, you know, saying you're the world champion of boxing, but you never fight any of the WBC, WBO. You, you, you can't consider yourself to be a top dog if you haven't historically over the season, you know, come and... and, and hey, the Champions League one, they'll always say they're well in the Champions League, they did. But it's easy doing well in the Champions League when you don't have any competitive fixtures during the week and all you do is prep for a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night. In England, you can't do that. You've got to play hard Saturday. You've got to play hard Tuesday. And that's why your Gerrard, your Lampards, them players who have gone Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for the whole careers, playing either international football, Champions League level football or trying to win a league level football, deserve enormous respect because that's not easy to do for one season. Never mind 10, 12, 15 seasons some of them boys have put up. That takes an enormous amount of professionalism and dedication to your craft. And that's why you should always give them boys a tip of the hat. Scott Brown, massive respect for him. Incredible servant to Celtic, done incredible things. But I felt, you know, he'll say, why would you leave Celtic? And I'm like, well, you've surely got to come and test yourself against Scholes, Gerrard. Or, or if you want to be the best, you've got to play against the best, is, is, is my take. Hey, everyone differs, but that was my take on it. So I go up there. And, you know, Sendros sent off. We're actually, we were down in the game, but actually we, we were relatively competitive, I think, until Sendros goes. And at that point, you know, you, you think about, we talk about Warbs. I don't want to slag him off, but he, 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 when Sendros is sent off, he makes a substitution, which puts me as the middleman of a back three with Lee Wallace and Tav right and left side centre-half of a back three with 10 men against Celtic and we're already behind. Now, Tav can't defend. Like, everybody knows that. He's great going forward, whips a great ball in, but he can't defend for Toffee. That's why he's never kicked on. Lee Wallace, the other side, I'd already had a scrap with Waldo about heading the ball at Dundee United away where he ducked and I dug him out for it in the dressing room. I, I said, you can't be captain of Rangers Football Club and duck a header when we're 1-0 up and fighting for the results. Unfortunately, not for me, so don't do that again. Warbs didn't like that. Wallace, to be fair to him, accepted it and, he, and, and I get on with Lee. Lee's okay. He, he, he took it in his stride, but he's not a left side centre half. So we got overran. Dembele, and I think they beat us 5 1. And you come off that game, and I thought, right, I now know where we are. That is a lovely reality check for us about how far we are away, that we can't keep dining out off the Scottish Cup semi final and the Scottish champ last year. This is perfect now because we can get cracking and get the real work done that we need to get done to make sure that we can get the gap closer to Celtic and hopefully in their points in the future challenge them because they're clearly miles ahead of us actually 5-1 ahead of us on, on that occasion um, so sat, it was Saturday morning I think 12-15 kickoff. I've had lots of people up for that game they're trying to get me to go out for the pint after the game I'm like nah, nah, nah I've got I can't be out in Glasgow we've been beaten I've also got the hardest part of my career coming the next couple of weeks at, at, at Rangers. Uh, Sunday, get me thoughts and Warbs phones me to go and have breakfast. When I had breakfast with them, I had a chat with them, told them what I think was right and wrong. 
Um, we were in the little Italian place by in um, what's the hotel? Is the hotel the van? Glasgow mm-hmm. yep. in the in, in the West End. There, there's a little Italian. Uh, he's a great guy. Actually, he looked after me with food when I'm up there. Where there's a little tennis court. Can't remember the name of it, but anyway, I went in there, met Warbs, had Brecky. I thought he's clueless. This fella. I thought he he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't even. If you, if you don't know, if you, you can't fix what's wrong, if you don't know it, do you know what I mean? You don't. You don't know how to. If you don't know how to fix something, if you, I just thought he's in over his head, and, and the, obviously the the tide had turned because he'd had all the plaudits the year before, and then next minute, Rangers have been B five one at um at Celtic Park and, and everything you've done the year before is out the window nobody cares it's about the year and now and I just felt he was a little bit under pressure given some suggestions what I felt he could do he, he sat and listened for most of it got in on the Monday morning I thought okay this is ground zero day one this is where Rangers rebuilds itself from as a, as a force for the Scottish Premier League and I came into training that day he'd had countless number of video meetings about all the other games we've played, hours and hours in the classroom going through and nothing. This was our worst performance where we were abject and got demolished by Celtic and there was no analysis of why that went wrong. And I I was like, this is incredible. He's trying to sweep this under the carpet. So I was like, look, that's his prerogative as manager. Didn't agree with it. We We had the training session that day. And it was the best training session, actually, on the Monday and Tuesday that I'd ever had at Rangers. It was at the correct intensity. And it was at the correct intensity because senior players, your Kenny Millers, your, your Andy Allardays, your, your Lee Wallaces, all them players were hurt by the result and, and that it, 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 it dusted off all the nonsense that, and all the cracks that had been papered over by blathering teams 5-1 and 6-1 in, in the Scottish Championship, which was you know, way beyond what Rangers should have been aiming at. Um, and we get to that Monday morning, Tuesday, training's bang on. But it was it was right on the edge of going over. Now, for me, that's the way you train at the elite level. It's There's always a little bit of, you know, you need to keep the reins off players just to stop it bubbling over. But but we had it right where it needed to go. And I thought, okay, we can, we can do something from this. And as the training session got going... Me and Andy Halliday were on alternative teams and he was disappointed being left out on the Saturday and pissed off we'd been B5-1 by Celtic. And I was obviously pissed off. So we had a right old ding-dong in the game. A couple of tackles, a little bit, a couple of seconds, fractions of seconds later and there. You know, par, par for the course for any, for any player worth his salt. Me and Andy were sound with it. It almost got into a little bit of a, a heated one. Lads got in between of it. But it was never going to be a dusty, like a dust-up. It was, it was always just right on the edge. Now, instead of just let, letting that go on, which it was fine, it would never have overboiled that. You could, if, you, if you knew your football and you knew your players, and you, it was never going over. He stopped the session warps and moved up to the other end of the pitch and started doing a shooting session around the edge of the box. So, like, Clint Hill's having a shot from, like, 12 yards out and Sendros, and I'm like, we've just shipped five goals at Celtic. Why Clint Hill never has a shot from the edge of the box, neither does Phil Sendros. He doesn't overlap and put a cross in. I was like, this is a fellow who just doesn't know what's happened and, and, and the response to it. So I walked off the training ground. And this is, we've been training for about an hour and 20 minutes. I just walked off and said, this is a fucking waste of my time. Because everything that's gone wrong in that, in, in that game is doing a crossing and shooting session is not going to rectify that. It's like amateur mindset. So I've gone, I've gone, enough's enough. I've walked in, 
gone to the dressing room. I've got chains. I'd done my training for the day. I got what I needed. I was just going to go in the gym and I'm done. I'm like, what am I, what am I dealing with? So I get to the dressing room. I get showered. And as I'm getting showered, um, David Weir comes in and says, Man, the manager wants to see you upstairs. So I've gone upstairs. Warb sits down. He's gone, I'm not having the way you've just spoke. I'm not having you walking off a training session. I'm not having the way you've just spoke. I was like, look, fair enough. Not acceptable, but also as a player, I'm, I'm not accepting that level of, like, when training gets to the level we needed to get, that you can cut it short. Like, that's wrong. You, you're doing the wrong things. So I, I won't go into the warts and all because I've got a, um, a thing with Rangers, I think, where they could sue me if I, t- if I tell you what was said and what went on. And also, it doesn't cover me Rangers, Mark Warb and Davey Weir in any glory. It was stuff that should remain behind closed doors. But pretty much we had a fundamental agreement, uh, sorry, disagreement uh, about the, the way the club should go forward and certainly the way the team should go forward. You know, me being me, I told Warbs in no uncertain terms where I felt he was, at, where, where I felt he was. Um, he obviously didn't like that and wouldn't, you know, any manager wouldn't like to be spoken to by a player about that. You know, I questioned his playing. Well, he hasn't got a playing career. And, you know, there were some things said there that that should never be said. And I knew when I was saying them, it was me or him who were going. Um, I knew there was no, there was no, um, no way both of us could move past this in a harmonious way together. And I was quite cool with that because I'm like, okay, this is conflict. It needs resolving. If it, you know, if if it, we'd had an argument a week before on the less got one, um, I really should have gone then. I really, really should have gone then. In hindsight, I should have walked out of the club then because that was a precursor for what happened. But because I'd said I was going to be the best player in Scotland, our next couple of games, Celtic was one of them. And I felt if I walked away from the club and, and cited Warburton's lack of ability as, as, as a, an excuse for that, People in Scotland would say I was a shitbag and I ran away from the Rangers, get Rangers Celtic game, you know, and that, and that I didn't. So I thought I've got to go and take this Celtic game on. I, I'm not leaving Rangers. I've, I, I'm, I'm invested in Rangers. I am not leaving Rangers. Played in the Celtic game. That made it worse with me and Warbs. I kind of realised that one of us have got to go. I can't continue this. So I'm like, look, the board have to make a decision here. It's one or the other. Um, and and rightly, you know, they went with they went with war, but and I was made, you know, the scapegoat, the villain of the piece, and you know, they 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 they, they got rid of me out the football club, and you know, luckily for me, I still had enough credibility with with Daishi and 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 the Burnley lads, and went back to Burnley and showed with a bit of training. I mean, I trained me bollocks off. I had to train correctly because I was so deconditioned from Rangers just general training. I was. I wasn't at the level of Premier League football because Rangers day-to-day isn't Mark Warburton's and David Weir's at Rangers at that time. Uh, it wasn't at the required level for for elite-level performance. And going back to Burnley, kind of, you know, working for Sean Dyche, who is a Premier League-level manager and does run a Premier League-level environment in terms of training, fitness, nutrition, everything else that goes with it. As soon as I went back to Burnley, I was like, yeah, because don't forget, I'd gone from Burnley to Rangers. So I'd gone from Burnley here. I, th- I thought Rangers would be here, like slightly below it, but here. But actually, Rangers were down here in terms of protocols. Then back to Burnley. Who, who, so for me, I was like, well, surely me coming back and playing in the Premier League and scoring, it shows, firstly, that I wasn't finished as a player and that 
surely every, even the most hardened Rangers fans must have gone, well, why couldn't he do that for us? Well, clearly, the way it was, the team was set up and the way the players were, um, they weren't, for me, they weren't being utilised in the best uh, way. I mean, you look at Rangers that year, the amount of times they got done on the counter-attack because they attacked with the wrong structures. And, you know, I only played, I think, six, seven games for Rangers. And it was evident to me that, you know, there was serious structural problems with the way he set his teams up. And, and that was only going to be exposed when you played teams good enough to exposure. We had problems beating Hamilton, problems beating Kilmarnock, problems beating Dundee United, because the structures were wrong. And Mark didn't want to do anything about them. He had his way. And it was, uh, for me, very surprising. And that's what I said to him. And that, I said, I don't know how somebody who's never played the game at a, at a decent level um, has coached, you know, lower level in England and lower level in Scotland and, and is not listening to the advice of people who've played at a level he could only dream of firstly managing at and clearly playing at. So for me, it was bizarre that he, that he made those choices. Uh, but ultimately, you know, he was not long, he never lasted long after that. And, you know, he's done a great job at QPR, as I say, but QPR is a job that, not many managers would have taken on an upward trajectory. It's a job for a manager starting out or a manager in the last throes of trying to salvage his, his reputation. And to be fair to Warbs, I think, you know, he's, he's, he's done a good, as I say, and, and, and actually got a bit of credibility back because he was on one of those downward trajectories that we were talking about Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes clearly, you know, he'll struggle to get another job that matches with where he expects himself to go in. You see Pardew, I like Alan, but Alan's out in, Holland at some side that's about to get relegated because it's a volatile industry football and you know you can be flavour of the month one season um, which Mark clearly was at Rangers in the championship year and the Scottish Cup final year um, but it's a results business and if you don't keep getting the results you know you go from you know Pochettino Champions League final in May sacked in what June uh, sorry June uh, January what was it January didn't yep. even make January did he nope that's the industry we live in. And, and unfortunately, if you don't get results and, and, and getting results for the manager is about keeping players uh, happy, motivated, disciplined, uh, get, getting them what they need to get to, to be um, productive. And, you know, for whatever reason, if I am a difficult player to manage, yeah, no doubt about it. I'm not straightforward. But Sean Dyche never had an issue with me. There's loads of good managers who've never had an issue with me. There's a few I've struggled with. Sam Allardyce I didn't enjoy working with because I just don't think he's as good as manager as what he thinks he is. He's a good manager, but not as good as what he thinks he is. So we had, you know, the way he trains is bizarre, but works for him. Um, and, and, and I fell out with loads of managers. I've got a strong opinion on how, how I see the game being played and how I want to play the game. And, you know, I, I think that's based on having a lifelong love of football. I've played football since I can remember. I'm fortunate enough to, as I say, play at, at a very good level as a player. Um, and I've got to prove in my coaching career um, that I know what I'm doing and I can organise a team from a coaching perspective because I've had lots of disagreements with managers over the years about how things should be done. And ultimately, as a coach, this is the beauty of it for me. Um, it's put up or shut up. You either know what you're doing or you don't. And, and at this moment in time, I'm halfway through a three-year contract at, at Fleetwood. And you know I've got to get results to show that I do know what I'm doing and I do know how to set up a team and, 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 and become a successful coach and, and, and successful manager. I'd like to finish with a round of quick-fire questions. Um, really enjoyed this chat, I must say. First of all, best players you've played with? 
best players I've played with. Um, see, it, it, it's a, it's always a tough one that because you, you think and then you think, you know, is it is it a player who's mega talented than everybody knows? So the most talented individual I ever played with was probably Nicholas and Elka. You know, I played with Lampard, Gerrard, Ashley Cole, all them boys for England, but I never played for them for like a season. So I could easy, you know, you see people get on uh, the telly and do these one to 11s of who they've played with and they've like, oh, I played with him for five minutes in a testimonial. I'm like, come on. You know, you can't put Cafu in because he came on in a testimonial game that you came on in. So I'm on about players that you've actually spent a lot of time in, good, bad results. And I think a season's the minimum you can... Um, but for me, the most talented individual by a mile I played with was Nicholas and Elke. I don't think people ever realised just how good he was. He was truly, you know, world... Le- I mean, Real Madrid broke the world record to sign him, so I think that's self-evident. He was, he was genuinely a world-class talent. Um, and again, people perceive him as a moody guy, and he's got, you know, that reputation, but he was great. I was a young player at City. I was the youngest in the squad, and he was brilliant with me, honestly. I've, I've still got a great relationship with Nico I haven't seen him or spoken to him for years but but again someone who, who I've got nothing but good things to say about I thought he was firstly top player phenomenal pro you know he's, he's a Muslim so obviously didn't drink and did and that was kind of weird at the time because there was still a big drinking culture in British football and he's seen as a bit of a loner but he actually wasn't he was just a, a mega professional who, who was you know like Cristiano Ronaldo now you know you know he's doing everything he can uh, Nicholas was the same but he was just before his time and he's quite shy and introverted and until you get to know him and, and obviously he played for the biggest club in the world which is Real Madrid and it hadn't quite gone to plan and he'd gone back to PSG and I think you know the PSG side at the time was a mega side with Ronaldinho and you know so he played in the Arsenal side under Wenger when he'd first come across from France and he was an amazing player over here you know part of that Overmars side that really really took the game in a different direction you know with big, strong physicality through the spine and, and obviously pace and power in the front and wide areas with, with uh, you know, uh, Tony Adams and, and, and a solid English Dave Seaman core defence to it with Vieira and Petit centre mid and Overmars out wide and Elgin and Bergkamp and what a side that was. And, and this was someone who'd come through all of that and, and, and you could still see, you know, he'd done all that at like 19, 20, 21, 22 you know, when he was playing with us, he was 26, 27. He'd just come back from, I think, Fenerbahce to sign for City. And he was just so far ahead of us as a, as a playing group. But, and that frustrated them at times. But what a player. I mean, what a player. And, and also gets a lot of harsh press. He was brilliant with us as young kids. He was, he was a great pro and a great example to, to us younger players about how you, how you become a Premier League player. Best player you came up against directly? Uh, I, I, do you know it, it, it's so tough because you, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to have played against pretty much every household Premier League name you know Vieira Petit McAuley Lampard Essien Scholes Keane Gerrard Alonso Matt, I could keep going like literally anyone who's who's in there, but you play against him at all different times. So when I used to play against Roy Keane, he was kind of coming towards the end. So he weren't quite as much the box-to-box midfielder as, as he was when he was in his Man United early days and Forest days when he was a powerhouse. So he was more a holding midfield type of player, but, but phenomenal at what he did and how he changed his game to adapt as he got you know less energy and less physicality. 
Skulls, very, very hard to get to. Would go in places that were, you just couldn't go. If you went to go after him in there, he'd, he'd play a pass around the corner to a Giggs or a Van Nistelrooy or someone else who'd get off your shoulder. If you left him and you'd give him, you didn't go in that space, he'd hit a 40, 50, 60-yard diagonal over the top of you. Um, so you, you were damned if you did, damned if you didn't. Gerard obviously, is running physicality and, he, you know, what a player he was, could do everything. Uh, Lampard getting off your shoulder was one of the best you've ever known at ghosting off the back here and getting a goal without actually being a top player. You know, he wasn't, he didn't ever go, he's going to get the ball, take me on and do this. But for his skill set, you know, the goal, his goal record at Chelsea speaks for itself. But also, you know, he got, he, he, he's a wonderful player at what he did. Very, very efficient. Um, McAlaney was arguably the best number four in the world when he played against us. Vieira, big powerhouse, do you know what I mean? Six foot four, machine, could do everything. Petit, the other side of him. Uh, Gilberto Silva, Brazil captain. I mean, the, I could go on and on and on. It'd be unfair for me to pick one of them out. I mean, the Premier League does test you that, you know, every week virtually. And I've probably left out about 50 top players there who I've played against. But the one player I was, I was lucky enough to play at, at his absolute peak, just before he went into you know, becoming a top like world player was Modric at Spurs. I remember uh, playing against Spurs away and, and Luca was doing well, but not, they were talking about being a top player, but not quite in that bracket. And I remember coming off the pitch and I said, he's the best I've played against in the Premier. He was on his, on his, just on his performance on, on that game and the game before. I said, he, he's at a different level. I felt he's moving in a different level. And then in the summer, Real Madrid signed him and, has he won a Ballon d'Or, Modric? Does, yes. Did he get a Ballon d'Or? Yep. You know, you could have had a number of players I've mentioned that were good enough as midfielders to win to win that accolade. But, you know, actually I played against Modric when he was like 24, 25 and he was about to go into that top bracket of, of, of midfielders. And you, honestly, you could tell the difference. You could just tell he was an, an elite level, world-class performer and... Obviously, he's shown that with multiple European Cup wins and World Cup finals with Croatia and so on and so forth. So, actually, in terms of the best individual performance of, of a top player played against, I'd have to say Modric, above all of those names I've just named. But, you know, I could be you could argue the pros and cons of all of them because, you know, they all were top, top players, World Cup winners, European Cup winners. Um, and, and, again, I find myself very, very fortunate to have been a kid who's not really got any great pace, not really got any great strength, isn't really massive, isn't really a great you know, technician, but was lucky enough to play against all of them. And now for me as a coach, somebody who's had to study the game and I've had to really try with, with the, the psychological part and the tactical part of the game to give myself an opportunity to compete against that level of player that I've just named. So I've always been scheming all my life about because I've had to scheme to survive in, the, in that Premier League environment. Uh, without being blessed with with some of the talent that that some people have, so that was always going to set me up superbly to be a good coach. And I think it, you know, I I always knew as a kid. I, I thought I'd make it as a player. I didn't know at what level. You know, I said to you, I'd have played non-league and working way up. And I, I I swear that's true. And I always thought I'd be playing Championship Manager as it was at the time, and I'd be playing all new footy games and doing fantasy footy where you used to send away in the post and get the results back. And I was always thinking about being a manager and a coach. I always remember thinking, I'll be a good player, but I'll definitely be a better manager and coach than I was as a, as, as a player. And 
you know, I've got a lot to prove in that space. Um, but I think up until Russell Martin getting the MK job when Tisdale got sacked a few months ago, I was the youngest manager in, in, the, in all four divisions in England. Um, you know, didn't win anything in the first season, but took a side in Fleetwood that was almost relegated the year before. And we got them safe. We never looked over our shoulder at any point. We, we've tried to learn those lessons as a group and, and go again. And, you know, as the, as the table stands today, we're fifth in the League One amongst some massive clubs compared to ours um, on, a, on a run of, I think, one defeat in 17, unbeaten in 12, been to some of the toughest places you can go in our division away from, uh, in the last few weeks and come through them stronger than what we went into them. And we were set up nicely. You know, it would have been tough to catch Coventry and win the league because they've got a seven-point head start in a game and they've only lost three games all year. So um, they're a good side. But, but I think the rest of us, Rotherham, we were due to play uh, two games away. So in two games' time, we had Oxford, who were above us in third. We'd been to Pompey and we think we were, we were better than them. I think if you watched that game back, we clearly weren't. A goal should have been disallowed. There was a clear foul on Harry Suter in the build-up. But... Um, we're, we're right in the mix and, and as I say I've got to prove over the next whatever period it is that that what I thought was right that I thought I'd be a better player than um, what, I, what, what I you know as, as a coach I'd be a better coach than I was a manager and I think I was the only person in the world who believed that um, clearly from when I got the Fleetwood job and seeing some of the media and stuff like that I certainly had more people expecting me to fail and fail uh, dramatically than, than I think you know there was some lots of support out there as well and uh, you know I've got some people who always give me support and I'm thankful of that um, but but also you know it's it's nice to to be part of a group that is moving in the right direction and to see young people getting better and coming in every day to just help people add value to their careers and to their profession and their lives and, and seeing the fans excited about you know Fleetwood Fleetwood Town being in the championship, I mean, you know, who'd have thought that was possible with our with our, our size club, but it just shows you if you do the correct things and you do them habitually and you have a, a desire and a discipline to get somewhere and you set your mind to it as a group, anything's possible. Last two questions I've got for you. We've talked about good times, good players. I'm kind of putting you in the spot with this question, but you don't, you don't, you're not, you're not scared to give your opinion. You've been around clubs that have been on the up. You've been around clubs like QPR, as we've described, that were crazy at the time. Which players you might, you might not want to name them. That's fine. What players would you say that you've seen throughout your career that have had the worst attitude? Um, it depends in terms of attitude. I mean. You can have players who have a bad attitude towards playing, or you can have players who just have bad principles because of the way they were brought up. You know, they're culturally uh, different. So, you know, I had a big problem with the Delta Rapt, who was a phenomenal player, phenomenal talent when I, when I got to QPR because, you know, he's Moroccan, Muslim, has a different culture, different background, and his, his take on things is slightly different from mine, who's a working-class kid from a council estate in Liverpool, uh, Catholic. So his mannerisms and the way he spoke to people who went at his level in his head, were, for me, were wrong. Um, and as I say, I thought that could be my grandmother, that could be my dad, that could be my uncle, my auntie, 
who were working at a club. You know, my grandmother waited on on lots of functions and done silver service. My dad was a roofer. So there's pre- probably been many opportunities for people to speak to them like shit if they wanted to. And I would, they would come back and always tell you the stories about who was nice and who wasn't nice. My nan waited on the queen and all kind of people like that. And she would always tell you a story. So that always went a long way with me to, to, to be, you should treat people correctly. Now, look, I've had more fallen out with people than anybody, not, but I'll always fall out with you. Do you mean? I'll, I'll take you to task and you can take me to task. You know, you deal with me. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, you know, for, for Tarbs, he, he, he would say and do things to like the laundry women and, and he, there was a couple of instances and you know I think he he allegedly spat in the direction of of of, of one of our laundry women um, because his kit he, she'd folded all the towels up and he'd just pulled the towel out because he he just doesn't really give a shit about other people some but he didn't at that time he's, he's changed a bit now I'm, I'm led to believe he's grown up and matured a bit but something happened with these towels anyway. And, and obviously Dee's the lady who's in there and she got quite upset. And he, 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 he said he never spat because obviously Desert and all the players, they got like, if you spat at it and he said, no, no, I didn't spit, but he, he done something towards her that she was visibly upset by. And to the point where she phoned her husband and was like, and he wanted to obviously confront Adele, but couldn't because she'd lose a job. So that kind of thing would annoy me. Because I'm like, nah, that's somebody who's being disrespectful to somebody that they shouldn't be disrespectful to. So um, in terms of attitude, you know, Adele's probably the one that frustrated me more than anybody um, because he had such talent, but would go about it in the wrong way. Now, look, he, he wasn't a bad lad. He's not a bad person. He just was a young lad who... I'd got away with murder under Neil Warnock and felt he could do whatever he wanted. I mean, Warnock used to say to him on a Monday, don't come in till Thursday, and, and then he'd just put him in the team. He, he, man managed him brilliantly for, for what he needed to get promoted, but no longevity in it. And, you know, for me coming in as a, as a player at QPR, we had to try and break all them bad habits and all them uh, amateur routines that were going on because you can't get away with them at Premier League level. And, and that included... Neil allowing him to speak to and behave um, to the to the people who worked in and around the training ground um, as as he pleased, whether he was having a good day or a bad day. And for me, yeah, you know, again, he's not a bad but not a bad lad. You know, he just got away with with murder off Warnock, and and no one's held him accountable. And 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 at that point, you know, we had to be set. Well, me as the captain of the football club because the manager was not capable, was tasked with um, realigning him, shall we say. <laughs> Last question for you uh, on the football front is, what's the craziest thing you've seen in the game? <sighs> craziest thing? I've probably, well, I've probably been, been a court the fault of many of them. Um, craziest, well, the four fours up there, that four fours as mad as I've seen. Um, but then again, the Aguero moment, I didn't realise at the time how how remarkable that is. I, I, I honestly, I was standing in a tunnel watching it live, but selfishly was worrying about my team and, and, and what was going to happen to me and the enormity of, of two, you know, it's, it, it'll never be a better, I, I can't see there being a, a better finish than that. There might be a, a finish as good as it, but to suit, score two goals in injury time when Man United have already won and if you don't score them, if, a draw, if you draw, you're not going to win. 
and to get the second goal to win it and it to be Aguero who's arguably one of the Premier League greats I mean he's he's got to be up there with Sheeran and Thierry Henry you know as, met, as well as others for me um, was a crazy moment but seeing Czech rifle Larin with his left peg he hadn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo in Sheeran for six months and then he's absolutely you know he's a phenomenal player but then slams that in with his weak foot on the volley daisy cutter to make it fourth I mean you know a pandemonium in shoes so I'd have to say one I've been involved in and on the pitch would be the Tioti one and one off where I've been involved but not on the pitch would definitely be the um, the the um, you know what I'm on about don't you? <laughs> I don't know why because I'm thinking about the playoff final because that was incredible I'm thinking I'm actually thinking as I'm talking to you I'm like how can you know the playoff final like Go down and Bobby Z, you know, battered for the whole of the second half. The club pretty much, if it gets up and gets the Premier League money, will survive. If it doesn't, could be like Berry going to the wall. It was that serious. And, you know, few players being aware of that. And, you know, I mean, you know, when I think about that, I have to put that in there. I mean, I also got Tony Fernandez somehow on my shoulders in that game. That in itself is, is, is a feat. I still don't know to this day how I've done that. How I've managed to deadlift them and keep them up there. And not, I mean, my back, my back surely at some point has, has got, to, uh, got to pay the, the, the consequence for that because he's a seriously heavy dude. I want to finish with a few non-football ones to finish. Um, first of all, favourite album of all time? Oh, do you know what I'd have to go? I'd probably have to go definitely maybe Oasis just because of the time and the place I was at in my life um, and an album that meant a lot to me. But also, being from Liverpool, the Beatles, Sgt. Peppers. I mean, I could put a few Smiths in there, but if you give me two albums for the, for the Desert Island, I think I'm taking definitely maybe in Sgt. Peppers. What book are you reading at the moment? We know you're an avid reader. Oh, yeah, you can see behind me. I've got loads to catch up on. I've just finished... Uh, Fire and the Fury, which was uh, about the, the first 100 days of the Trump, because I've been watching Trump become a raving lunatic via these corona uh, briefings. Before that, before that I've, I've, I've been studying uh, geopolitics, world history, a few other things, and a great book for it, weirdly, is Lawrence of Arabia. So a friend of mine bought me Lawrence of Arabia, which is great about Egypt, the Suez Canal, and all the kind of Bedouin tribes uniting. Really good for world history. Uh, but at this moment, I've, so I've finished them two. I've finished Principles, Ray Dalio, and the Muhammad Ali book in the time off. And then a friend of mine, uh, Kevin Dutton, who's a professor of um, psychopathy, not psychology, at Oxford University. Because um, he talks about highly functioning psychopaths and how psychopaths who are highly functioning can do incredible things but are also not wired up correctly and most elite level performers you'll find have psychotic elements to the personality it's the only way you can play in front of massive crowds and in massive pressure moments so all all top level managers people whatever it is across multiple industries always have and i spoke to you earlier on about the dark the darkness that you have to engage with and um I feel like I'm plugging books here. I haven't set this up. They're just lying around me. You can see they're all about. <laughs> um, this is a book called A Knife's Edge, which is uh, Professor Stephen Westerby. I think he's one or two uh, in the world, heart surgeon. So he's the guy who, you know, he makes a mistake. People die. Um, and, and, and it's about his mindset and, and going in, knowing that. He, he talks about 
walking through a valley and every footstep either side is death. So if he makes a, if he makes a mistake, like I give a pass away in a game, one of my mates can get it back or it might go, but he makes a mistake, people die. So you can imagine the pressure and, and how the mindset has to be with that. Weirdly enough, I was out doing stuff in my back garden the other day and Kev, Kev Dutton set up a conference call for me, Steve Westerby, to have a chat like a Zoom and I completely forgot about it. So they were on the conference call and he's like the preeminent heart surgeon in the country, someone I've been desperate to, to, to speak to, somebody whose book I've started reading and I'm pissing about cutting me privets down in the garden and, and I've missed this conference call. So I just lose track of time, as I say. I'm meant to bring Daishi back at 11 o'clock. It's now four o'clock. We started this conversation at what, 10? 10. Um, look, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the calping. Good, my time flies when you're having fun. I'm glad, I'm glad. Um, Favourite film? Favourite film? Um, I'd have to say, my missus kicks off at me all the time, so I really like, like war documentaries and history documentaries, and my favourite film would have to be Full Metal Jacket, if I'm honest. Private Pile and Full Metal Jacket's a, a favourite of mine. But I do like um, Man on Fire, uh, Denzel Washington. And also, I've, I really like A Star is Born, Lady Gaga, and I get a bit of stick in our house for it because it's out, it's out me known. But I, I, just, I, I just love the story. I just thought it was a really good story. And, and obviously, I think she's an incredibly talented uh musician and, and I, I, I weirdly got I must be getting old and getting a bit soppy I, I say to my kids all the time I'll leave that on I love that um, <laughs> which is not in the gamut of films I, I, I normally watch or books I normally read but if you give me one I'd probably say Full Metal Jacket Man on Fire second and then I go Star is Born third which is a bit a bit strange <laughs> If you were to have a meal what would you what would you what would you say is your favourite meal and what beer would you have to wash it down with? Uh, I've started weirdly when I come in from doing the garden and I'm not really a beer man in the house I've never been I've never been a beer man I'd have a glass of wine or but I've never really liked beer beer's not really been for me and lager but as I'm getting older I mean getting nearly into my 40s now I've started to appreciate during this lockdown coming out the garden after having a good day's grafting there and having a nice cold bottle of like Moretti with with, with your dinner so we've been sitting down more as a family we never sat down as a family because everyone it's like spaghetti junction you know everyone's passing everyone to get food there's there's quite there's about six or seven of us in here so to get everyone in one place is like trying to herd cats uh but, but the coronavirus crisis has meant we've been sitting down for the dinner all together and having a chat it's been like the brady bunch in, in many ways um but usually i'm running out to watch games of football or running into trying to watch games of football on my laptop or training on my laptop or speaking on the phone. So at this moment, I've actually had a, a, a period of pause and, and actually becoming a normal family person. Um, so beer, I would say Moretti. I'd have a nice bottle of Moretti um, when I get in out of the garden. I've, I've enjoyed that, which is new for me. Uh, meal. Uh, my missus has got this green egg she bought last summer, which is like a clay oven in the back garden. And she's been cooking on it and you have to learn how to get the temperature right. And to be honest, everything that's come out of it's been decent, really. Um, I do like a nice chicken pita with a bit of salad. So if you do a home, like a rotisserie chicken on a nice pita with a good bit of like nice mayonnaise and a nice salad with it, um, I'd say that would be my go-to. Nice cold bottle of Moretti and I'd be 
happy. Brilliant. Last thing I want to say is just thanks for agreeing to do this. Um, when we started this morning at 10 o'clock, I thought I might be lucky <laughs> enough to get an hour of, of your time, but you've given me a full day. It's been brilliant. Yeah, no problem. Well, it was, to be honest, mate, I don't, I don't really like doing all the mainstream like stuff. So, you know, just to sit and have a chat with you, you can see you're clearly, uh, you know, passionate about your podcast and you love your football. And I, I like the fact when you text me last night, because usually I meet up people to, to interview me and they've got these like set of questions and all the people they interview, they must think he's not going to answer this and he's not going to answer that. So, you know, the, obviously the Barnsley thing I can't talk about because it's an ongoing uh, criminal criminal uh, investigation. But for me, you know, football's football. There's more important things. And I think everyone's realised that in the, in the last few weeks and months that there's more important things than having a game of football. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you've got to not lose sight of that. It's a hobby and there's lots of things around us that are important. And I think speaking to people and talking and, and this way, podcasts and all that kind of thing, I think have been a great, um, a great, points of refuge for, for all those people who were, who were on lockdown and stuck inside the houses. And, you know, if you, if you don't like, um, if you don't like, like your, your missus or your kids, I think you're in, you're in a bit of a tight bag because you can't escape anyone. So luckily for me, I've, I've managed to, uh, I didn't think I'd, I'd be as, as content as I would be being away from the training ground and being away from the football pitch. Cause it's very rare in my life. I've spent this long away from, anything to do with football but actually um for all the the bad things that are going on in around us in society and obviously the misery and the, and the devastation that this disease is causing i think this has given us an opportunity to to for all of us to to reset and take stock of things and and hopefully come out of this when it does pass and it will pass uh, as better people and better citizens and you know I, I, that's all we're all trying to do you know I, i'm trying to do that myself and as I say, really enjoyed talking to you today, mate. It's been great to just have a chat with someone, yep. you know, talk about football, because in our house, everyone's like, oh, shut up, dad, or shut up. No, no, we're not bothered about football. No one wants to talk about footy. Me, me brother who lives with us, he's, not, he's got no interest in it. Um, so it's nice to have a, have a chat about football. And, um, you know, the, I've got to be, be honest, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it, Callum, so thank you. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells